On this edition of the Iowa Business Report. And our estimate is somewhere in the range of 350,000 jobs that were retained thanks to this program. The money quickly ran out. More to come though. We'll discuss the role of Iowa's bankers during the pandemic. The spring and summer calendar looks far different than we had planned not long ago. And we'll hear about one company whose business has been booming lately. This is the Iowa Business Report for the fourth weekend of April 2020. The Iowa Business Report is presented with support from the Iowa Association of Business and Industry. The Iowa Association of Business and Industry has been the voice of Iowa business since 1903. Learn more online at iowaabi.org. Here is Jeff Stein. The numbers are hard to comprehend. Those who have lost their jobs due to the coronavirus outbreak. And while all businesses are suffering, Small businesses are traditionally working closer to the margin in good times, much less during an unexpected economic downturn like this. Congress passed and the president signed the CARES Act, which pumped $2.2 trillion into the U.S. economy, from direct payments to citizens to forgivable loans to small businesses. That original Paycheck Protection Program fund of $350 billion was anticipated to last a period of months. Instead, it lasted only a period of days. Thursday of this past week, the U.S. House approved a bill passed two days before by the U.S. Senate, providing another $321 billion for the Paycheck Protection Program, as well as $60 billion in economic disaster loans for small businesses. The bill was signed into law by the president on Friday. Those government programs, just one part of the efforts provided by Iowa banks during the pandemic. I spoke recently with John Sorensen, president and CEO of the Iowa Bankers Association, about those ongoing efforts. We connected via Zoom shortly after the original money ran out. Our industry early on uh, recognized that because we're so inextricably tied to our small businesses on Main Street, We needed to work as hard and diligently as we could to get these dollars to them as quickly as possible. We believe that was the intent of Congress, and we we believe that was the best in the best interests of our small business customers. I will tell you, Jeff, it was not without challenges. This is a a portal or a pipeline that that is used to uh, putting about $30 billion of of SBA loans uh, out every year. That's annually. We've we've now... uh, Uh, and approvals for $350 billion of loans. And in Iowa alone, over 22,000 loans to small businesses were approved, totaling about $3.7 billion. And if you think about that, now what's the purpose of the the Paycheck Protection Program? It's to protect jobs for, for individuals and for Iowans. And our estimate is somewhere in the range of 350,000 jobs that were retained thanks to this program. We obviously can't take the credit. Um, this, this was a program that was designed by our, our members of Congress, but banks played a key role in making sure it worked. Th- this program seemed to work better for some of our small businesses than it did for others. 
self-employed sole proprietorships came in towards the end of the program. And, and, and that became a little more difficult for technical reasons, I, I guess, in, in trying to determine, you know, the, the amount of the benefit that they would have under the Paycheck Protection Plan. It works well for a business that has a payroll, you know, with a number of employees. It's like, uh, you know, putting a square peg into a round hole for some of these other enterprises, uh, sole proprietorships, limited liability companies, farmers uh, were also uh, able to participate. And, and that's where part of the difficulty our, our community banks had in delivering this is one, early on, there were glitches in the SBA portal. So, so their systems made it difficult to maintain, get and maintain access. And then also the guidance that came out on this program was, was slowly released. So we were operating and, 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 and taking these applications uh, in many cases without clear guidance on, on the impact of our, on our financial institutions. So kudos uh, to Iowa banks for stepping up, recognizing the importance of this program to getting our small businesses, if not back on their feet, at least give them a little breathing room uh, so as we hopefully move forward and uh, eventually get the, the, the economy back open, uh, that they're going to be in a position to do so. Anyone who has sought financing from a financial institution knows that you don't just simply walk in, smile, and say, I'd like X thousand dollars. There's a process because banks have to have the liquidity in order to service those loans, also pay interest to deposit holders, etc., and so we know there's a lot of material you have to bring to the table. That was certainly no different when you have the government overseeing all of this, an SBA program. Uh, in many situations, it's more paperwork. So it really was a challenge to turn all of this around in such a short period of time. What sort of stressors did that place on the normal operations of your members or on the banking system as a whole? Uh, that's a very good question, Jeff. Um, and you mentioned probably the more more significant one early on, and that's just liquidity. You know, as a bank, you know, you have you're funded through core deposits and then some wholesale uh, funds as well. But if uh, you know, I, I know many of our banks um, added another twenty percent to their loan loan portfolio by making these loans, mm. and in doing that, then. You know, your funding doesn't keep up with the requirements. So that can create some stress on the balance sheets of, of, our, of our banks. The way, the way uh, Congress and, and really our Federal Reserve Bank, our central bank, uh, address that is they've created a new facility within the Fed that will advance funds to the bank. And then the bank will be able to uh, provide these paycheck protection loans as collateral. And, and that, that was a godsend, Jeff. That, that is something that allowed our banks to then pledge those loans and get a, additional funding to make more loans back into their communities. So uh, very important. The other challenge we had, again, the, the SBA system has a lot of uh, a red tape, I would call it, requirements so that uh, if the banks don't meet those requirements, the 100% the guarantee, which is on these loans, um, could be could be taken away if you're not following their guidelines. That's why it was an interesting, interesting scenario for our banks without having clear guidance as they began this program uh, to not know whether or not they're doing, 
checking all the boxes they needed to in order to keep the guarantee on the loan. So it, these are challenges that our industry faced and may not necessarily impact as we think about our small businesses. But to me, the most amazing part was, I, I can tell you, I got calls all weekend. I got calls at all hours of the evening from our bankers who were out uh, working with their small business customers to get this these delivered uh, as quickly as possible. And and, and that's, that's really uh, uh, quite an accomplishment on their part. Iowans have, have had a long history of working together through through challenges, uh, this is this is going to be no different. We have every intention of of coming out of this stronger uh, than we than we went in, and uh, we we hope to support uh, our customers in in handling it in the same manner. John Sorensen is president and CEO of the Iowa Bankers Association. Online at iowabankers.com. The full conversation is an IBR Extra podcast. Find it at iTunes or Google or Apple Podcasts, or by going to totallyiowa.com and clicking on the radio programs link. Still to come, more changes to your summer calendar. And there's something we're using more of now than ever. And it's not hand sanitizer. You're listening to the Iowa Business Report. The Iowa Business Report is a copyrighted production of Totally Iowa Media, which is solely responsible for its content. For more, click on the radio programs button at totallyiowa.com. Many families have a calendar posted in the kitchen, listing appointments and events, often color-coded by family member. These days, those calendars are mighty empty. From ball games to graduation ceremonies, Our lives in 2020 are far different from what we expected. We told you previously that the annual Taking Care of Business Conference presented by the Iowa Association of Business and Industry each June was not going to be held this year. Same for the Iowa Broadcasters Association. The Iowa State Bar Association shifted from an in-person event to virtual seminars online so the lawyers can still obtain their normal continuing education credit. The Register's Great Bicycle Ride Across Iowa will not happen, nor will the nearly three-week-long Freedom Festival in Cedar Rapids around Independence Day. The Zach Johnson Foundation Golf Classic, which has raised $8.8 million in its first nine years alone to benefit children in the Kids on Course program within the Cedar Rapids Community Schools, will be held, but the popular Pro-Am event will be without its normal 8,000 spectators. The golf will happen, but without the crowd. And the pre-event gala benefit will change. It will now become a way for an unlimited number of people to participate in the annual auction online. We told you earlier this year about a unique program for high school students each summer, Business Horizons. Recently, the board of the Iowa Association of Business and Industry Foundation decided to cancel the 2020 event due to the pandemic and concerns for the safety of the young participants who were scheduled to spend a week learning on the Central College campus in Pella. Yet more things to remove from our summer calendars. Up next, the service provided by one business has been quite popular for those working or learning from home. You're listening to the Iowa Business Report. 
The Iowa Business Report is presented with support from the Iowa Association of Business and Industry, helping develop the next generation of business leaders through Leadership Iowa and Leadership Iowa University. To learn more, go to iowaabi.org. Those spending more time at home these days, either for work or school or because entertainment venues are closed, often turn to a screen, perhaps a video streaming service, perhaps a computer or smartphone. Getting information to that device requires a connection to the outside world, and demand for broadband usage has grown exponentially since the COVID-19 pandemic began. One company with two offices in Iowa is Wynn Technology, and I talked with company CEO Scott Hoffman about how they have handled this increased demand. Wynn Technology is about connecting people to information and other people and helping businesses with their IT infrastructure. We make these connections through our fiber optic network, which extends 10,000 miles across the Midwest states of Iowa, Illinois, Minnesota, and Wisconsin. Millions of individuals use our fiber network every day. Uh, For example, if you travel across the area that is covered by our fiber network using a cell phone, that call is likely carried by wind from the cell tower to the cell switch. Many hospitals are interconnected with our network. And most of us are relying on the internet more than ever right now. And we deliver a lot of internet bandwidth across our fiber network with a special focus of delivering internet into rural areas. I mentioned we help businesses with their on-site technology needs. So we're we're an IT firm that has pretty much everything a business needs today, fiber network connectivity, internet access, and data center services. Talk in particular about the footprint in Iowa. You have a couple of offices, but your coverage map seems to be expanding within the state. Yeah, the the fiber network itself expands a a couple thousand miles across Iowa, Dubuque, Davenport, through Cedar Rapids, Des Moines, and all the way uh, to the western side of the state, uh, Sioux City, and into Omaha. You mentioned the rural areas, and this comes from my experience as a lawyer representing some rural telecoms about 30 years ago, where it was those small if you will, nimble companies that could really take the step and fill the void in much larger cities because the institutional carriers could not do it or would not do it, did not find it to be appropriate. Talk about the entrepreneurial spirit that may be driving your company and others in the past to put us where we are today. We're owned by rural telephone companies, so I have great visibility into what you were just talking about. There is a a lot of concern about rural America, the rural have-nots, if you will, from a broadband perspective. And that issue is very real, but it is not real in those areas that are served by small telephone companies. And interestingly enough, as rural as some of these small telephone companies are, they're the ones that have and many times 100% fiber to the homes uh, across their areas. And yeah, as you mentioned, unfortunately, it's the larger institutional carriers who have chosen to make the capital investment in those areas where they're going to get their greatest return. And unfortunately, that's not rural America. It's the larger cities that they serve. And going back 30 and 40 years, 
a city would grant an exclusive franchise to a cable company, for example, because, again, you couldn't have competing companies at that time monetizing their investment because you had to run a cable up and down every street, and so they wanted to have that 30-year charter. But fiber has really changed all of that in addition to how we use this technology. And certainly, as you alluded to now during this pandemic, we are using this network more and in many different ways than perhaps we had even imagined six months ago. Yeah, and fiber has proven to be future-proof. I think those areas that do have fiber optics, those companies that do have fiber optics into their customer locations are going to be in a great position to continue to serve those customer locations with the type of bandwidth that really no other technology that I can see is going to replace the ability of uh, fiber to carry bandwidth into those areas. We've seen, uh, we've seen quite a bit of an increase in internet demand and uh, usage as of late. So you had a network that was built out based upon usage numbers. You had no idea, none of us did, that there would be this spike. So how have you been able to adapt to all the traffic that is now just, I'll say, clogging it because it's what we can understand. That's not the situation when you're running it through as, as data through a communications process. But what have you done to make sure that the service is not interrupted so that your customers are appropriately taken care of. Yeah, and if I could talk about the internet and the usage that's going on just a little bit first, because I think it's it's really interesting. You know, I've seen reports where mobile cellular usage has increased 25 to 50% since early March. You know, we bring bandwidth to cell towers for the wireless carriers through our fiber network, and they have reached out to us, those wireless carriers, with numerous requests to double or triple the bandwidth to those cell towers. And we've been able to respond fairly quickly and efficiently to those requests. But what's happening is that with people staying home, the internet usage into the home has increased significantly. No surprise, right? Um, many of us have sufficient access into the home for broadband, yet many do not instead have to rely on the cell phone connection if they have one. So several things are driving the mobile usage and increase in video de- or internet demand. Video conferencing, as a means of communication has really skyrocketed due to the stay at home and social distance rules, right? Zoom, for example, has reported a 20 fold increase in its subscriptions. I think I heard anywhere from, you know, 10 million to 200 million uh, increase recently. But what has also magnified the increase in internet usage is a shift that had already been taking place from traditional cable TV based service, right? to online streaming of programming. Many had already been dropping cable TV service before COVID hit our country. And, you know, Netflix is a great example of this trend where programming is now delivered by them primarily, if not exclusively over the internet. And many programmers have been making that shift like HBO and Disney and and Amazon. So as we cut the cable TV cord before all this happening, we're already putting more demand on the internet infrastructure and a local broadband service. So the confluence of the current COVID event and the shift to online streaming has really challenged the overall internet infrastructure of our country. Yet all reports are that the internet has held up well. You know, our, our network has been doing a good job of meeting the increased demands. Uh, we carry a significant amount of internet across our network, as I mentioned, and 
we've seen since March 1st, a 30% increase in bandwidth in the uh, aggregate, meaning that across the spectrum on a given day, we're seeing a peak increase of 30%. Now, the traditional internet usage peak takes place in the evening, right? When we're home, streaming Netflix, gaming, overall just being active on the internet. Entities like us, we design our network for the evening peaks, and we, which means we have this extra capacity during the day. As a country, we've been working to flatten the COVID impact curve, right? But interestingly enough, the internet usage curve has flattened quite a bit uh, with more internet activity taking place during the day. So while well, I said that in the aggregate, our bandwidth has increased 30% during the day, we've seen a 50% increase in our network. So that's okay because we have the spare capacity during the day, but the overall challenge for the industry has been, you know, keeping pace with the growth in the evening peak. So to your question, we see year after year this growth in the internet and we plan for it. So we put a budget in place for 2020 that planned to try to stay ahead of the growth trend on the internet. If anything that's changed as of late, uh, we might've had, or we do have plans for third or fourth quarter upgrades that now have been accelerated into the few months ahead, the next months of uh, April and May. Scott Hoffman is CEO of Wind Technology with offices in Des Moines and Cedar Rapids and broadband service throughout Iowa. More at windtechnology.com. And that brings us to the close of this week's program. Next week, we'll talk about a prosperity index. That and more next week at this same time. In the meantime, you can listen to all or part of today's program by going to totallyiowa.com and clicking on the radio programs link. You'll also find podcasts of full interviews with many of the people you hear on this program. They're listed as IBR extras. And we're also found on all the major podcast distributors, including iHeart, Apple, and Google. We welcome your comments. Send them by email to radio at totallyiowa.com. I'm Jeff Stein. Thank you for joining us, and we hope you have a prosperous week. The Iowa Business Report is presented with support from the Iowa Association of Business and Industry. Follow ABI on Twitter at IowaABI and online at iowaabi.org.